So before we get started on today's message, I want you to see this slide. Next week, we start a new series. You say that now. Just wait till you hear it. Yeah. So this is a really cool graphic. A friend of mine helped me develop. Uh, The name of the series is going to be called Remember the Cross. It's a study in 1 Peter and why this is relevant. 1 Peter is written to Christians who were suffering tremendously with persecution. I mean, it was really bloody and it was very bad. And what Peter says all throughout 1 Peter is, for you to get through this, you're going to have to continue to remember the cross. So you can see there's a car driving through a storm, but in the rearview mirror, there's some sunlight and you can see the cross. That's what's coming up starting next week, our study in 1 Peter. The title is to remember the cross. It's going to be very lighthearted stuff, right? Persecution, remembering the cross, just very lighthearted. Noah, as we know, the scripture usually takes us right where we need to go, and I believe this series is going to do that as well. So let's go to our last and final message in this series on Jonah. We called it Swimming Lessons. There have been six swimming lessons so far, and today we're going to see our seventh swimming lesson in the story of Jonah. I've called it Listen to God. Excuse me. So in a way of introduction, have you ever asked someone a question? I mean, and you know they heard you, and they just didn't answer? Maybe your kids? Your spouse? How did that make you feel? Like they are intentionally ignoring you. You know they're choosing not to listen. It's disrespectful, right? What is your response to that? Well, I can tell you what my response is. Me, I am infinitely patient. I caress the suffering brow and overflowing with compassion. I asked them in the old King James, what's wrong with thee? How can I help? Of course not, right? I am actually quite the opposite, as most of you are. We get impatient and we ask again louder, maybe with more, shall we say, color. Why aren't you listening? So what if God treated you like you treat people who ignore what you say? How often do you ignore God's word? Like you hear it, and it says to do something, and then you decide, well, that's not necessarily too serious right now. I probably don't have to worry about it. How often do you hear truth from a sermon or from reading scripture, and you just ignore it? You rationalize it as not relevant to your life. Perhaps it's truth about how you handle your money. Perhaps it's truth about your role in the kingdom of heaven here on earth about serving and loving and sacrificing. Perhaps it's about loving one another relentlessly, as we learned in our series on Philippians when we first opened our church. Perhaps it's messages about immorality. Or maybe it's what the scripture says about unhealthy relationships. See, this was Jonah's problem as well. From the beginning, he was refusing to listen to God. He was ignoring God's specific direct instruction. Question for you, do you believe you're really good at listening to God? Do you know when he's speaking and what he's saying and what you're supposed to do? 
See, I believe learning how to listen to God is one of the most difficult swimming lessons any Christian can learn. In fact, I believe most of the time we don't even know when God is actually speaking. If there was a formula for you to follow that would make hearing God more successful, would you even bother to use it? So that's our introduction. Let's look at the scripture for today. Chapter 4, verses 6 through 11, the last few verses in Jonah. Now the Lord, this is after Jonah has preached in Nineveh, and they've repented. The whole nation has repented, and they've come into a knowledge of Jesus or Jehovah. And Jonah is really mad, and he goes up to the top of the hill and says, I knew this was going to happen. I knew that you would save them, God. This is ridiculous. Why don't you just kill me? I can't bear to watch it. But he still has hope that their repentance isn't real. So he decides to sit on a hill for 40 days and watch and see if possibly their repentance collapses and God just destroys them all. So there's Jonah waiting for that, right? A really cheery fellow. Watch what God does. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head. Remember, this is the Iraqi heat. This is the, it's in modern-day Iraq. It's in the desert, so it's hot. That it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Discomfort, by the way, that Jonah chose to subject himself to. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching heat, a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. Oh, this again, Jonah? It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Did I miss it? Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough that I want to die. This guy, man, he's a trip, isn't he? And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in the night. In other words, 24 hours. And should I not pity that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from the left? It wasn't 120,000 people who were idiots. What he's actually saying is, you don't want me to spare this. You're concerned about a plant that you didn't even plant. You didn't grow, and it, it came up in a night, and then I killed it in overnight. And you're mad about the plant, but you're not concerned about 120,000 children in Nineveh? That's who are people who don't know their right hand from their left. They're children. And also, there's much cattle. Somebody approached me after church last week, and they said, you know, I was reading ahead in Jonah, and it says there's 120,000 people and much cattle. He thought that was a trip, you know. God had to point out there's a lot of cows in Nineveh. (laughs) The point that God is making to Jonah, these are actually Animals, not plants, animals that would feel the pain of judgment. You'd rather me judge 120,000 children and cattle than you would this plant. So that's the scripture for today. Let's look at the history. Sorry, this is frozen a little bit. Pardon me. Okay. 
The first thing I want to bring up is the historical part of this passage. Jonah ignores God. So this is a very short historical section because Jonah doesn't do much except ignore a very clear question from God, right? And the question is, sorry, this thing is, uh, I don't think the enemy wants me to preach this today. Pardon me just a minute while I bring this up again. Okay. There we go. Thank goodness. I didn't have it memorized. Okay. So the historical section. It's a very short historical section today because Jonah doesn't really do much except ignore a very clear question from his God. So, you know, you know one of my favorite, excuse me, one of my favorite features of many text message platforms today, you know one of my favorite features is, is you can tell when somebody's read it. You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh Uh-huh. You know, and if they have read it and they don't respond, I start wondering, are they busy? Are they angry? Am I not important enough to them? And usually when that happens, when I see somebody's read it, maybe an hour has passed or two, I follow up with a very godly, humble, compassionate row of 15 question marks. Right? Anybody else do that? It's just me? Okay. And then after that, if they haven't read it, now I'm really angry. Do you remember last week we see God asking Jonah why he was upset? about God's mercy on Nineveh. Jonah, why are you angry? Is your anger justified? And Jonah does not answer God. God knows Jonah heard him. What gall Jonah has, right, to choose not to answer? This might be worse than Jonah refusing to go to Nineveh. Now, the most of the rest of what happens in this passage today is spiritual or what God does. So let's look at it. First of all, I want you to see that there is a patient conversation that ensues. So God is merciful and patient with Jonah. He goes to great lengths to bring Jonah back to a place where he will finally listen. And over the course of about 48 hours, God displays grace to Jonah by speaking to him in four very compassionate ways. First of all, we see that there is a comforting gourd. So overnight, God grows this large plant, large enough to shade Jonah from the hot Iraqi sun. Some translate this plant as a gourd. Now, just so you know what a gourd is, it can be a pretty large plant, and it actually takes a year and a half to be big enough to provide shade. That's how long it would take. This happens overnight, so Jonah knows God is doing something. Jonah knows this is not normal. He's sitting there griping and complaining, and all of a sudden, the next morning, there's this massive plant giving him shade. Now, watch. Once Jonah receives the comfort of God from the shade... Jonah instantly stops praying that God would kill him over Nineveh. The scripture says Jonah is glad for the shade, but it stops there. He has no gratitude, no humility. He just what? He just consumes the blessing. You'd think such a comforting miracle, such a blessing as this would get Jonah's attention, right? Wow. I'm sitting here complaining and God is gracious to me. No, Jonah just enjoys the blessing. He consumes it. No thought for the fact that he knows he really does not deserve it. 
Then after the comforting gourd, God is not through talking. He also speaks to Jonah through a very hungry worm, apparently. <clears throat> right? One day of shade. And then God sends a very hungry worm, which kills the gourd overnight. It's botanical miracle number two. You would think watching a plant large enough to shade you from the Iraqi heat dying overnight would grab your attention as well. Wow, God is trying to tell me something here. I should probably listen. But what does Jonah do? He wakes up and says nothing. <clears throat> then God brings another attempt to communicate, a patient attempt. He brings a scorching wind. The shade is gone. God brings this heat wave, and now Jonah is baking on Victim Hill. Remember, he's there by choice, by the way. <clears throat> it's hot, and he could leave if he wanted to, but instead, what does he do? He just goes back to the same victim prayer we learned about last week, which is, God, just kill me. Back to that, Jonah, really? <clears throat> this is the third time Jonah has prayed this prayer to God. Over and over and over. God, just kill me. I'd be better off dead. <clears throat> it's an odd, very often repeated cycle of dysfunction in his relationship with God. He's mad at God once again. Dysfunction in your relationship with God. Can you relate to that? See, once again, Jonah is choosing to sulk in circumstances of his own making and then project his frustration on God. But God doesn't want to kill Jonah. God is in relentless pursuit of Jonah. He wants to teach and shepherd and transform him, not kill him. But then we see God gets the last word. So this seems like a lot of hassle, right, for this ingrate Jonah. Why does God go through all this trouble? I'll tell you why, grace. See, after enduring bitterness, his temporary obedience in preaching to, to the Ninevites, and then a moment of comfort under the shade, and then he lost the shade, and now he's suffering in the heat. All these things that have happened, Jonah is now in a position where he is cornered by grace. He is in a mercy trap. God has led Jonah emotionally, physically, spiritually, intellectually into this beautiful mercy trap, and there is no way out. This whole story, the boat, the storm, the whale... The shade, the worm, the heat, they're all manifestations of God's patience and God's grace. <clears throat> God uses all of it to teach Jonah just how foolish, irrational, and absolutely ridiculous his anger and selective moral outrage is. And now the whole story of Jonah, the climax is here. It culminates to this point. This is the climax of the story of Jonah, God's patience and God's mercy. Jonah, you're upset about a plant you had nothing to do with. You don't care about 120,000 children in Nineveh. You're more upset about a gourd than tons of cattle who actually can feel pain. Do you see how irrational you are? And that, my friends, is where the book of Jonah ends. It's a drop-the-mic moment for God. <clears throat> and there's really nothing left for Jonah to say. Oh, you didn't realize Jonah actually wrote this book? Jonah's the author. <clears throat> Can you understand the ending now? 
Some people say, well, there's something wrong. There should be more ending. Like, what happened to Jonah? Like, did he respond, and did he repent, and did he change his life, and did he become a better prophet after that? Well, maybe. But all we know is there's no better ending than this one. Jonah is stunned. He's in the teeth of a mercy trap. God's mercy has brought him to a beautiful moment with no choice but to button his lip, shut up, and listen. <clears throat> All right, personal section. What about us? What are we supposed to do with the book of Jonah? Entitled this section, Time to Listen. This was the Sunday sermon preview this week. Our patient, loving father knows we're hard of hearing and need things repeated constantly. Amen? <clears throat> See, most of the time as Christians, we are either unable or more likely unwilling to hear what God is saying to us. And it is a constant struggle. We know what God's word says about obedience in a great many areas in our life, don't we? <clears throat> We've even gone so far to be such hypocrites that we teach others what God says in a great many areas, but we ignore those warnings ourselves. Why in the world is God so patient with people like us who can barely pay attention in church, much less pay attention to his word? Why does God go through all this trouble? I love what Paul says here. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This passage is why he went through all the hassle with Jonah, why he goes through the hassle with you people. By you people, I mean me people. <laughs> Even though you spend most of your time ignoring what you know is right, he is still relentlessly pursuing you, trying to get you into a mercy trap. It's his unstoppable intention to corner us in mercy and grace with no escape and no alternative but to run to his loving arms. God does not let anything hinder our transformation, even our own stubborn, irrational, arrogant disobedience. That's what he did for Jonah. That's what he wants to do for you. The question is, are you actually ready to listen? So we see two things that happen in this story with Jonah. There's some blessing and there's some suffering. We often <clears throat> misinterpret these things from God. We think that is this, like blessing and suffering. God is responding to what we have done or something we have not done, right? Boy, I'm blessed. Oh, no, I'm cursed. So question for you, do you think Jonah deserved the blessing of the miracle gourd? Do you? Well, of course not. He was disobedient. Do you think Jonah deserved the scorching heat? No, he deserved much worse. <laughs> the scorching heat was a blessing. See, the story of Jonah, from the ship to the storm to the whale to the heat, None of this, get this, church, this is so important. None of this story is about what Jonah deserved. What he deserved is irrelevant 
That's the grace part. How often have you misinterpreted what you see as blessing or punishment as something you deserve? Think of the human arrogance in believing that any of us deserve whatever you might count as shade or blessing. Boy, I'm doing really good right now, and God is just blessing me. You know, when we receive shade from God, we don't ask him many questions, do we? We just say thanks, and we consume it, and we enjoy it. Like somehow you have beckoned God's favor on your life because you are so good at listening to him, so good at being obedient. Now, suffering, that's a whole different ballgame, right? God, what have I done to deserve this? God, why did you let this? Oh, we're full of questions then, aren't we? Why did you let this happen? Think of the human arrogance it takes to think that someone going through suffering is being punished by God. Here, if you don't think you need as much or more grace than Jonah or Nineveh, you haven't been listening to God very well. Like you don't deserve hardship, but they do. Think about this. In the grand scheme, right, Philippians 1.6, he began a good work and he's going to be faithful to complete it, right? That's his number one goal, correct? Doesn't it seem silly to think that God spends all his sovereign time playing whack-a-mole on disobedient Christians? (laughs) Or Santa Claus or those who've been nice? Do you think that's really what God is interested in? Oh, I got to keep track of these Christians. Wham, bad, bad Christian. Oh, here's some shade. Good Christian. Is that what God does? Doesn't it make more sense, church, that what God is really focused on is making sure his good work is completed in us? Doesn't that make more sense? Doesn't that seem to make more sense what he's doing with Jonah? See, God isn't punishing you or rewarding you. He's talking to you. He's coaxing your rebellious heart into the teeth of a grace and mercy trap. It's time to break the cycle. I have found a quote that I'm going to use. I'm not sure if I want to attribute it to Charles Spurgeon yet. I might try to pass this off as my own. It's so good. But I think the old English might give it away. I don't know. Sometimes God, this is from Charles Spurgeon from his sermon on Jonah, on this particular chapter of Jonah. Sometimes God puts us through, he calls them unusual experiences. Yeah, whale and the gourd, that's pretty unusual stuff. Sometimes God puts us through unusual experiences in order that we may the better understand him. And sometimes that we may the better know ourselves. Men who are of a hard nature must have hard usage. Diamond must cut diamond, that at last the purpose of the great owner of the jewels may be accomplished. Wow. That's a good quote, Pastor Joe. I wish. Here's what I'll tell you. If we're sincere, we will admit we are just like Jonah. Our lives, in fact, are a constant self-destructive cycle of dysfunction. 
God is speaking to some of you today. And like Jonah, he's probably been patiently trying to get your attention for quite a while. And like Jonah, don't get me wrong, like Jonah did repent, right? And he preached. Like Jonah, you may have had moments of temporary spiritual lucidness. There's been times where, oh, yeah, now I get it. Then the next day, you don't get it again. But you still haven't really learned to shut up and listen. By you, I mean we. What have you been refusing to listen to about God? Money? Ministry? Marriage? Personal purity? Sacrifice? Kingdom service? You know, sometimes we fall into this trap of years of misguided prayer and misguided hope and misunderstanding of what God is doing in our lives. And we want God to do something Something we want, and there seems to be, from our perspective, no answer. But studying the story of Jonah, and if you've missed some of the sermons, there's only six other ones, you ought to go back to our YouTube page or the podcast and listen. These are important swimming lessons. Studying the story of Jonah has given many of you a mirror with instructions written on it to allow you the ability to break the cycle of your dysfunction with God. Why don't we try beginning to learn how to break that cycle today, church? Our study of Jonah has provided seven important swimming lessons to help us do that. We've learned how easily we can become just like Jonah, right? Arrogant, short-sighted people who are mad at God and we don't even realize it. We've learned how easily we all become like Jonah in that respect. We've also learned how far too often Christians, especially Christians in the American church, right? Christians in the American church, we often learn how often we hoard God's grace for ourselves. Obsessed with our own little world, running from obedience, we've also learned that no matter how hard you might try to run, you can't, because in love, he's coming for you. We learned grace is designed for people just like us, pagans who think they know what's best but really don't. We have also learned another important lesson, what true confession and repentance looks like. We also learned, if we did, did we not, how important understanding the fear of God's judgment is and how crucial that is for the motivation for repentance. We learned how to know when we have become mad at God and all the dangers and consequences that come with that. And we learned today that God is constantly using circumstances, good and bad, to speak to us, to corner us into a mercy trap. We have learned in this series that the story of Jonah really has very little to do with a whale. It's more about God's relentless love for his chosen people. And as you learn to apply these swimming lessons, you will begin to experience God's love in a way you never dreamed 
you would. You'll begin to understand how actually obedience to God is not a burden. It is a privilege. It is a blessing. Perhaps today, perhaps, I don't know, but for you and maybe even for our church right now, God is in the midst of a drop-the-mic moment with us. Well, that makes it uncomfortable, doesn't it? One that leaves us, you, me, with nothing to say. But wow, I better shut up now. You know what that is? That's a story of grace Mercy, redemption, and forgiveness, active and alive. It's a story of the gospel taking hold of our hearts once again. Perhaps God is speaking to us as a church today. Perhaps it's time for us to just shut up and listen. And just let him have the last word. <clears throat> 